Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. That was a good message, Jeremy. In Jesus' name, amen. You can all go home. You've heard what you need to hear. Yeah, don't leave so fast there. <clears throat> well, good morning. It's good to see you. It really is. It's so good to see you. I, I can't believe it. It just seems that uh, it was a few weeks ago that we entered Memorial Day weekend, and now we're Labor Day weekend, and, and the summer is over, and, and, and almost. Uh, we still have some good weather ahead of us, but it just feels that way. As we launch into the fall, keep your eye on the bulletin. Keep your eye on the webpage. Uh, keep your eyes and ears open. There are a lot of different things that are happening. And with that said, I'm going to be looking at starting a new series in a couple weeks. And the, the series is simply titled, Broken to be Whole. And we want to talk about our marriages. We want to talk about family life. We want to talk about relationships. You know this, that if you don't ask the question, what's broken, you don't know what to fix. And I think it's important that we go into this new fall season asking important questions about our relationships, the most important relationships that we have. We have to ask the question, what in the world is broken? God, help us fix it. Because it's broken to be whole. And that's, that's the way that God leads us. Next weekend, I don't know if you know this, a week from today is Grandparents' Day. I never used to know that until I was a grandparent. But it is Grandparents' Day and I want to bring just a message to our prime timers. It's just called Heading Home. And uh, what does it look like in the, the, the latter part of our life? And wh- what do we do to dedicate our life to Jesus? How do we live? And, and it's out of Psalm 90. And it's really the only psalm written by Moses. And we're going to talk about Moses and Psalm 90 together. And I think you'll enjoy it. Well, we've been in a series titled Knowing Jesus. And today I want to finish this study with an imperative. Now... An imperative is just a nice word for command. And we aren't used to being commanded to do anything, but I think this command is worth saying, and even more, it's worth doing. And the command is this. The command is follow him. Follow Jesus. Follow him. Follow Jesus. Now, here's the problem. The problem we face today is even when we know how important it is to follow Jesus, oftentimes we put it off. If you'll remember a few weeks ago, we were in a study from the Gospel of Luke, the 14th chapter, Jesus taught a parable about inviting people to a banquet. And if you remember the study there, each one of those individuals that were invited, they had some sort of an excuse. The first excuse was, well, I would come, but, but I just bought a field, and I need, need to tend to the field. The second one said, well, I, I just bought five oxen. I want to go try them out, see how it works. And then the third said, I just got married. What they're saying is, I want to follow Jesus. I will follow Jesus after I get some things taken care of. What are they doing? They're putting off following Jesus. When Jesus called people to follow him in the Gospels, and it's sad to say, but the majority responded by telling him that now is not a good time. Jesus, it's just not a good time. If you come back a little later, if we, can, if we can talk after this circumstance is over or I clear up this kind of business, that's when I'll, that's when I'll follow you. Did you know that there are um, and have been studies done by medical professionals that tell us that when people have a heart attack, the, the surgery needed is only a small part of their recovery. 
really the, the major part of their recovery, the big issue is changing someone's lifestyle. That's really the big issue. The doctor tells you things that you need to do differently. The doctor will say you need to change your diet. You need to be in physical therapy. You need to exercise. You need to lose weight. And almost everyone before surgery says, you know what? I'm going to do that. I mean, I'm ready to do that. I'm ready for a life change. I'll do whatever's necessary. I'm going to do things differently. They have a conviction. But really the question is, will the conviction lead to action? Now, most doctors will tell you that within a year to 18 months, there is really no lifestyle changes made in the very same people that said before surgery, absolutely, I'll make those changes. And what's even more interesting is that after that time has passed, those same people still plan on making the necessary changes. They are still saying, yes, I'm going to do that, I'm still going to make those changes. Those changes are on my to-do list. They still have the conviction. It's there. They still have the intention. It's there. But they have taken no action. And this is where we tend to live. Many of us tend to live somewhere between conviction and action in our lives. But every conviction should call us to action. Every conviction in our hearts is really an invitation to take action in our life and with our lifestyle. How many know the definition of procrastination? You've heard that word before. Well, I want to I tell you what it means, but I, I'll get around to it a little later, okay, if you don't mind. So that's really the definition of procrastination, isn't it? The definition of procrastination is the space between conviction and action. You know, I'll deal with people, and I have for 35 years. I've been in ministry, and I've, I've dealt with so many different people, and, 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 and people who are in trouble, people who are in crisis, people who are struggling, and I'll, I'll sit down with those people, and we'll, we'll talk about the struggle, we'll listen, we'll pray, and, and I ask, are you looking for direction? Are you asking me for direction, and almost every time the answer is yes. I'm asking you for direction, and what I'll do is I'll say, well, here's some steps that you can take to help you get stronger and grow in Jesus. The sad commentary is very, 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 very few follow those instructions. It's that, that place between, yeah, I, I, I intend on doing this, and that really sounds good, and I'm going to get to that someday. But right now, I'm, I'm not sure. I, um, I did this a few weeks ago. Someone came to me. They were talking to me. And they were really, they were in a crisis. And, and um, I said, listen, one of the things you can do is really get involved in this class. And I, and I told them the class. And I said, boy, we got sign-ups out, out in the lobby. You go sign up and, and get involved. And I was really curious because I knew I was coming to this this weekend, to this message. And so after the church services ended, I went out there. There's no sign-up. And I'm not trying to call anyone out, but I'm just telling you the nature, the places that we tend to live. The places we tend to live is I I want help, I need help, I want to grow in Jesus, I want to follow him. But then the action that follows it up is sometimes almost nil. For many of us, this is where we live. We spend our lives with good intentions, and because we have the conviction, listen to this, because we have the conviction, we feel okay. Well, I have the conviction, I have the intention, I I feel okay. I feel okay about not exercising because I'm going to exercise. 
I feel okay about not eating right because I'm going to eat right. I feel okay about not reading my Bible because I'm going to read my Bible. I feel okay about not going to AA because I'm going to go to AA. I feel okay about not living sideways, but I, I'm okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live sideways. You know, we can apply this, this, this concept this truth, really, to many areas of our lives. But what I want to do today is I want to look at how this applies to the call to follow Jesus. I mean, I want to look at this in in relationship, and Jeremy said it earlier, the primary mission of the church, make disciples. Make disciples. So would you do this? Open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, the 22nd chapter. That's Acts 22, and I want you to put your finger on verse 16 because we're going to get there in a moment. What you need to know is a little background here. The Apostle Paul finds himself in the middle of a mob, an angry crowd in the center of Jerusalem, and most historians say that this took place on the southern steps of Jerusalem. That, 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 that's where people would congregate. That's where they would debate. That's where they would get things out. That's where they would talk about life. And so Paul is here, but he's in the middle of this angry mob. And they want some account of his life. They want to know what he's about. So what does he do? He does this amazing thing. He gives his testimony. Folks, our story is powerful. Your testimony is powerful. When you can't think of anything else to say to somebody... Give them your testimony. Tell them about how Jesus worked in your life. And that's exactly what Paul does here. He says, let me tell you, gentlemen, let me tell you what has happened to me. And he goes way back into his early days. He even says that I was a persecutor of the church, that I murdered people of the way. That's what they called Christians back then. That I I was a a Pharisee of Pharisees. He said, but one day I was taking a, a trip to Damascus, and out of nowhere, this bright light comes down. This voice says, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And he says, who, who, who are you, Lord? He answers his own question, by the way. Who are you? I'm the one that you persecute. And then he's instructed to do this. He's instructed to go to the house of Ananias once he got to Damascus. And when he goes to Ananias' house... Ananias begins to give him the fundamentals of what it means to follow Jesus. And that's really what verse 16 is about. This is Ananias speaking and he says this. He says, now, what are you waiting for? Paul, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. You see the question? You know, it's a rhetorical question, by the way. It really is, because he's saying, what are you waiting for? Meaning, you, you know what you need to know. You understand what you need to understand. What are you waiting for? This question is asked with the action of getting baptized. That is the action that comes with this conviction, that if you have this conviction in your heart, then get up and be baptized. And I, I want to look at, at water baptism. You know, when I was thinking about what are some of the very fundamentals that, that, that we've been instructed to by Scripture to engage in following Jesus, water baptism is really the first step. But oftentimes we miss it. We think there are other things that we should be doing, and here it's really about being baptized. And I want to connect this. What are you waiting for? If you haven't been baptized, if 
Jesus is your Lord and Savior, the question is, what are you waiting for? I want to tell you a little more about water baptism. But again, I want to remind you that this is a rhetorical question. It's kind of like the question that Annette would ask me, when are you going to go take out the trash? I mean, she doesn't want me to put it on my calendar. She doesn't want me to say, well, you know, about 3.15, I can do it. Um, you know, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it later. I can make a date to do that. You know, she's not, she's not wanting to hear that from me. What is she saying when she says, when are you going to take out the trash? Guys, right now, take out the trash. It's a rhetorical question. Just get up off your keister and do it. You know, don't debate. You don't think about it. There's nothing to think about. She wants the trash taken out. I'm your man. I'll take out the trash. You know, I want to make something clear about water baptism. It's important that we understand this. As a church, we do not believe that baptism saves a person. We don't believe that. Our salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. That by his life, his death, and his resurrection, our sins are forgiven And we have been given the gift of eternal life. Romans says this, that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, there is salvation for you. That's what we believe. We do strongly emphasize water baptism because the Bible does. The Bible does. Especially when you read through the book of Acts. So what does water baptism mean and why is it important to you? Why is it important to me? Well, the first thing we should know is this. Baptism is a personal commitment. That's the very first thing you should write down. Baptism is a personal commitment. As we've seen the Apostle Paul's testimony in Acts 22, we read that Paul was the one who made the decision to get baptized. It was a conviction. He needed to do something and And so what does he do? He makes the decision to be baptized. It wasn't someone else's decision. It was his decision. It wasn't his parents' decision. It wasn't Mima's decision. It wasn't Pastor Joe's decision. It was his. It's a personal commitment that we need to understand. You know, I've talked to people who say that when I was a baby, um, I was baptized, but I really didn't know what I was doing. I didn't... I wasn't the one who made that decision. And listen, I want to say this, and I hear this often. I'm just telling you what I hear often is is I would never want to take away the importance and joy of a mother and a father of parents that that, that had their baby sprinkled. The the Greek word for that is reno. And the reason I'm saying that to you is because it's different than what Paul is talking about. It's different than what we see in water baptism. I would never take that away. But, but I can say this. Uh, I, I've told people this. That that's more and we would see that. I would see that more as a baby dedication than I would see as a water baptism. It's a baby dedication. It's a place where we're full of joy. It's what we do here absent the sprinkling. Is we, we dedicate babies to Jesus. And, and so the, the child, when the child grows older, when they become of age... Recommended age, oftentimes, and I hear this is around seven or eight years old, where they know what they're doing, that is when it's time to make their own decision because it's personal. Baptism, listen, baptism is the wedding ring of our faith that we're saying that I'm committing myself as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm doing. That I'm identifying myself as a Christian And like a wedding, baptism is my public declaration that I'm a believer in Christ. 
that while my decision is a personal one, while I make that commitment to be baptized, my baptism is a public declaration of that decision. When I asked Annette to marry me, it was only her. I only asked her to marry me. She's the first and the last person I ever asked to marry me. And I said, would you marry me? Very personal, very intimate. We didn't, you know, we weren't standing in the middle of a crowd with everybody listening in. Hey, buddies, come on, man. I want you to hear this. We didn't do it that way. We didn't do it on a big screen at a baseball game. We, we did it under a tree in the courtyard of a dorm. And I said, would you marry me? And she said, yes, very personal. It was a personal commitment that we made with each other. But the wedding, the wedding was open. I mean, it was to the public. It was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a celebration. And at that wedding, we exchanged wedding rings. 36 and almost 36 and a half years ago, I put this ring on my finger. She put that ring on her finger. This is our public declaration. It reminds us of what we did 36 and a half years ago. We wear these rings. It is a public declaration. Everyone can see this. Everyone who looks at my hand, they'll look at my hand and say, oh, he's, he's covenanted with somebody. He is committed to somebody. He's made a personal commitment to the woman of his life. And that's exactly what I've done. And like weddings are a celebration of our personal commitment to each other, so is water baptism a celebration of our personal commitment to Jesus Christ. And that's why we do it the way we do. You know, some people have asked, why do you do water baptism the way you do water baptism? If you haven't seen one, we, we just park a, a trough right here, really. It's, I mean, it's, an, it's with all of you. You get some of you right here. Mallory's gotten wet before. I've seen him sitting there and go, you know, a little splash on him. We do that right here, and it's on the screens, and some say, well, why do you do that? It's a celebration. You don't hide a wedding. You don't stick the, the bride and the groom behind a, unless you're from another religion, I don't know, but you don't stick them behind a big curtain and let just people hear it. You put it up on the screen, you celebrate it, and, and people, I know first time people see some of our water baptism, they're going, whoa, what's going on? These people are happy. You know, because they're clapping, we have some wolf calls, we have some whistles, we have people calling their names. Yeah, go, go! It's a celebration, and that's exactly what it should be. It should be a celebration, because there's a public declaration that I am a public follower of Jesus Christ. I'm coming out of the closet. I'm not hiding this anymore. I'm not keeping this from my friends or family or relatives. In fact, I want them all to come to see this because I'm putting on the wedding ring, baby. I'm married to Christ. And I want everyone to know, remember, every conviction calls us to action. And every action has its ramifications. I used to have a sign in my office that says ideas have consequences. They do. Because what will happen is sometimes these things, these decisions we make, they'll cost us. That's where people get a little bent sideways. Well, I didn't know this was going to happen. I didn't know this was going to happen. It will cost us. Sometimes we don't want what it costs us. We just want the benefits. You know, I'll, I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll just, you know, me and Jesus, we got this deal going on, kind of private. I put them in my front pocket. And I take them wherever I go. It's a great deal. Me and Jesus, I just want the benefits of Jesus on my dashboard. That's what I want. You know what that's akin to saying? I don't want to surrender to Jesus. I just want to cohabitate with him. 
I don't want the commitment, but I want all the benefits of a commitment. And then second, baptism unites us with Christ. I love what Romans, we use this all the time in baptism. Romans 6, 33 and 4 say, Or do you not know that as many of us are baptized into Christ, Jesus, Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that Jesus as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. That's why I love what I heard today about Jeremy's classes there. Jeremy teaching one, uh, Ben Clifton teaching another. Both of them have to do with this subject right here. It has to do with salvation. It has to do with the resurrection. In baptism, we say, I, I die to myself. I'm dying to my old ways of life. That water baptism identifies me with Christ's death and his burial. That when I go into the to the waters of baptism, I'm identifying with his death and burial. And when I come out of the waters of baptism, I'm identifying with his resurrected life. That's what I'm saying. This is one of the reasons why, as a church, we do baptisms by way of immersion. Remember I said earlier, the word or the Greek word is rano for sprinkling. And there's a different word here for immersion. We do it this way because it is the act of going under the water that really captures the intent of what we see in Scripture. We want to follow what we see in Scripture. In the book of Acts, you see this constantly. We want to follow that pattern. And so we see that happening in Scripture. The Greek word for baptism is the word baptizo. It's the word baptizo. It means to dip or plunge beneath or immerse. Now, what you may not know is it is one of the very few words in the New Testament that wasn't translated into English. It's transliterated, but it is not translated into English. There is a very important reason. This was not translated. If it was translated into English... It would say, go and immerse yourself. Go and plunge yourself. Go and dip yourself in water. That's what it would say. The literal translation would be that. You would be calling John the Baptist, John the Dipper. You know, John the Immerser. John the Plunger. But you wouldn't be calling him John the Baptist because it's not the, that's not the English translation. It's the word baptizo because this wasn't translated into English what it does is it shows us how important and how significant water baptism is to being a follower of Jesus Christ they do not want to change the essence of that they don't want you to be confused so they maintain the word there baptizo baptism thirdly baptism is a an expression of faith and uh, there's, there's nowhere better to see this than, than in Acts chapter 2. It's a great place where uh, these, these people gather in an upper room and they're, they're hungry for, for power, the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And, and so what happens is they, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. The people around see these tongues of fire. They begin to speak with other tongues and, and people in the streets. I mean, it spills over. This is like a boom, an earthquake. It spills over. People in the streets are going, whoa, I've heard my own language. I've heard my own tongue. And some believed. But there were others that said, what are these people doing? They're drunk. 
And it was then that Peter steps up with the other 11 and he gives this beautiful explanation. For, I, mean, I mean, as a preacher, this is a great explanation. And he says, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. We don't do that. And then he goes on and he begins to talk about how this should not surprise you because the prophet Joel talked about it. This should not surprise you because you can see it in David's prophetic psalms. This should not surprise you because this was coming. The Holy Spirit was going to fill these people. And he, and he, and he gives this wonderful, passion message. And then what happens is it says these people are, cut, the word is cut to their heart. Conviction. They're cut to their heart. And then it says in verse 37, if you have your Bibles open, Acts chapter 2, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, there's the conviction, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what is it? What shall we do? Very important question. We're convicted and we want to take action. We are convicted and we are not going to leave this in the space of well intentions. We need to know what to do. It's amazing. These people were convicted and what they wanted to do was take action. So what does Peter do? What does he do? Well, he doesn't say, well, you you made the decision. You guys are cool. Just enjoy. Just have fun. Just go do your own thing. You guys are good to go. No, he doesn't do that. He says this. He says, repent. And do what? Repent and be baptized. He says, repent and be baptized. And in your obedience or action, here's what I love. In your obedience here, in your action here, you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Now, I, 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 I need you to see something here. It's huge. He says, in your obedience or surrender, you will receive the Holy Spirit. And you know, we're in such a consumer-based society that we just think, well, that should automatically come. God, I need you. Give me the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes, I wonder if the Lord is looking at you, what for? You're not doing anything. I, I didn't give you the Holy Spirit so you can just sit around. In fact, if you look why, it's so why? You could be my... Witnesses, you know the translation to that? You can be my martyrs. How about that one? I don't know. But that's what it means. It means that you can die daily to yourself. It means that you might be persecuted. That's what it's saying. I will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And we wonder today, why are we so powerless? I'm wondering if it's because we're not taking action. We have good intention. We have the conviction. We feel, and we're okay with that. We're good in that space. But this says to me something different than the way we live today. This says, in your obedience, in your surrender, you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey, not to those who have good intentions to obey. Huge difference. Because what do we need? We need that power of God's Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission. It's said there. It's all through Scripture. And here's the, the last thing, and, and it's important. Baptism, really, and we've been talking about this already, but baptism, I need to say this, go, is really an act of obedience. 
this reinforces what we just have heard Peter say. Again, this is really what it comes down to. It's simply an act of obedience. The challenge is that we've turned it into a tradition. We've turned it into a religious ritual instead of, as I said earlier, a command, an imperative. We look at this and just say, oh, it's a good, nice suggestion. Like suggestions, they really don't commit me to anything. This is not a suggestion. This is a command, and what it says here is it's a command of Christ when he says, follow me. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the great commission. It says, and Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, and lo, I will be with you. There's the promise of presence. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, listen. I've had Christians who say to me, you know, I, Pastor, I've known, I've been a Christian for a long, long time, for years and years, do I, really, do I really have to get baptized? Can I say this? Because I'm a nice guy, uh, I usually look at you with compassion and, and I'll give you an answer. But can I tell you what I'm doing inside? I'm rolling my eyes. I hate that question. I ha- really? Is it that big of an inconvenience? Huh? Uh, you know, that's what I'm saying inside. Now you know. Now you know that, that, that I, I look at someone and I go, oh, yeah, and then I explain it. Inside, I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. No, you don't have to, I guess. You don't have to do anything. Can you imagine in your premarital counseling, you're sitting before a pastor, you're sitting with your bride, and he says, now we're going to have the, talk about the marriage ceremony. And you go, do I have to? Do I really? I mean, really? Do I have to? You know, tuxedos cost a whole lot of money. And those shoes you wear, they do not fit my feet. Do I have to? Do I really have to? You do this because you love somebody. I wore a brown tuxedo. Never worn a brown tuxedo in my life. But she wanted me to wear a brown tuxedo. Or was it white? It was one of those? I don't remember. It was not me. That was you. You wore the white. I wore the brown. That's right. Hey, 36 half years ago, folks. Just give me a little break. If I would have looked at her and said, do I really have to do that? Wow. Come on. His life, his death, his resurrection, and you're asking the question, do I have to do that? And what I do say nicely, can I tell you my response? (laughs) And I do it nicely. You do if you really want to obey God. That's my response. You know, I know this can be hard. You know what I know this? I know this probably harder than anything else. It's humbling, and that's really the issue. The issue is my pride. You know, I, 
wear a white thing or I put on shorts and, you know, ay, 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 and I'm in front of people. And it's humbling. That's exactly the intention. You got the message. It's humbling. It's surrendering. It's doing something that just is out of your comfort zone. And that's where the greatest blessings come. Uh, I know it can be hard. And, and that's why it's important. You look at a story in 2 Kings. And I'm going to finish with this with five, uh, chapter 5, verses 19 through, or through, 9 through 14. Let me say that again. 2 Kings 5, 9 through 14. It's about this, this commander of the Syrian <clears throat> The Syrian army. I mean, this is a mucky muck, man. This guy has some resources. He has some power. He has some authority. And, and someone comes to him and says, hey, and he has leprosy. Hey, you know where you can go? You can go to the prophet of Israel. His name's Elisha. Go to the man of God. Ask him. And I know that he's done miracles. And I know things have happened. And man, you can be rid of that leprosy. And so he gets permission from his king. And he, you know what he does? He brings this booty of, I mean, we're talking Gold and silver. He's going to pay for this. And he brings his entourage. Man, he dresses up to the nine. He's looking bad out there. He gets on his horse. He has some chariots. He's feeling really good about himself. And then he goes and he's looking for the prophet. And the, he hears. The prophet hears. And you know what? The prophet sends a messenger to him. He doesn't even dignify him with his presence. This guy gets totally ticked off. Naaman just loses it. He loses it. I'm going to read this to you. Let me tell you what it says, beginning of verse 9. And Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious, and he went away, and he said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me. He'll come out and meet me. And stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. And wave his hands over the place. And heal the leprosy. And, not the, and are not the Abna and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers of Israel? What he's saying is these are filthy places. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he, and he went away in rage. And his servant came near and spoke to him and said... My father, if if the prophet would have told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean. So he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. What got banged up in him? What got bent around in him? His pride. It was his pride. He turns and he starts to ride off. He keeps his pride. He keeps his dignity. And he keeps his leprosy. See, when Jesus says, follow me, it is humbling. And you can go ticked off. And you'll keep your pride. You'll keep your dignity, but you will keep your sin. You will keep it. You'll keep your hurt. You'll keep your... It'll, all, it'll, it'll stay with you. But you kept your pride. You kept your pride. Do I have to get baptized? Do I have to? No. You don't. But if you want to be obedient to God's word, you do. Follow me, he says. 
There's a saying that came around about the 1700s, and it's a, it's a saying. You've heard it. It's called show your colors. You've heard that? He shows his colors. You know where that comes from? That comes from the British Navy in the 1700s. And that was really important in the British. There was, the, there was an article of war that said, you must show your colors. Some people used it in scrupulous ways, but that's what they said, show your colors. And they would show their colors. I mean, when they were in, show your colors, and the colors of the British Army or the Navy would go up. And really what water baptism is doing is water baptism is saying to you and to me, hey, hey, show your colors. Show your colors. You know, we all have different colors that we like. We, we have different teams we support, and we wear those colors. We show our colors, man. For those over there, they're Yankee fans. This is a Dodger hat. For those that are Giants fans, this is a Dodger hat. When I put this on last night, I invoked some, some feelings, especially from the man in the back who's a Yankee fan who was jeering and booing me, you know? But what do we do? What do you do? Throw on that Seattle Seahawks jersey, you throw on a Dodger hat, whatever your team is, you throw them on. What are you doing? This is my allegiance. This is the team I show my allegiance to. I show my colors. This is who I'm committed to. And then when it comes to water baptism, hmm. Showing your colors now, it's a little tough sometimes because when you're in a group of people who think like you and believe like you in this room, showing your colors is a real celebration. Everyone gets excited. Yeah, you're a Dodger fan. Yeah, yeah. And all the Dodger fans. I mean, I watched a Dodger game last night. Man, they were playing in San Diego. Poor San Diego Padres. I mean, there were more Dodger fans in San Diego than there were San Diego fans. And you could hear every time the Dodgers, yeah! And they were all excited, wearing shirts, looking at each other, giving each other five, and all that. They lost in ten innings, but that's beside the point. And they're excited. They're really excited. But when you show your colors, you have to be true because you're going to go in places that that isn't as popular as it is when you're with your people. I mean, wearing this down the streets of San Francisco, man, that could get me thrown in jail almost. <laughs> Show your colors. The imperative is this. Follow him. Follow him. Now you know the steps. Would you bow your head? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. L- let me say this. If... if you know Jesus, you, you really know that you know and you understand that, then what I'm going to instruct you to do is take action. Don't, don't just keep it a conviction. Make it an action. Maybe God's already been speaking to you. And uh, this is what I've done to make it work for you. I put some sign-ups in the back on the tables when you leave, and there's sign-ups on uh, line that you can go to and you can sign up to be baptized. Someone will contact you and give you more information. You've received a lot here today, the information that you really need. You've heard in this message. You really have. Um, October 18th and 19th, we're doing water baptism and, and that if you're, you're, you're in that place where you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've accepted Him, you've made that confession, this is that declaration of saying, I'm showing my colors. I want people to know. And if that's you, Take action today. Don't leave it in this space between conviction and action. Take action. Father, we just thank you for your amazing grace in our lives. And then you make so many things clear to us. I know we get, 
we get it and we make it complicated. You know, well, we just do. It just things spin around in our heads. And, and I, I find most of the time it's my own pride my own unwillingness to take the steps that I need to take. And oftentimes they're so simple. You just ask us to do simple things. Really, compared to what you did for us, what we've been asked to do is so simple. And Lord, we want to be people who show our colors. We want to be people who move forward and they look at our lives and they say, now there is a follower of Christ. There is someone who loves Jesus. Let that be true about all of us in our testimonies. Thank you for your grace, in Jesus' name. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.